sharing to kind of learn who we are. You can start, Ms. Brown. Joe Stevenson. I'm Marcus Stevenson, his mother. Paul Codell. Charles Teese. Mary Teese. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was her last name. T E E S E. It's a handy last name for Christmas. Shirley Howell. This is my husband, Ken Howell. <laughs> Just say yes. David? David. David Seals. Phil Lindsay. Daniel Cook. MOI Audrey Cook. <coughs> Russ Murintish. Tony Sam. I hope there's no quiz later. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Thanks for having me. If you can remember your own name, you're doing good. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate the opportunity. Um, how appropriate that we spent time in prayer and then we're going to talk about prayer. I guess we'll see if we did it right. Um, and I can remember, you know, my parents, bless their heart, they started me on um, God is good, God is great, now I lay me down to sleep. And I'm not sure they did, you know, a whole lot of favors in doing that. I, I think it would have been uh, much better beneficial for us growing up if we had heard my, if I had heard my parents praying more uh, from their heart. But at least my parents were dedicated to us having a time where we, we, we spent in prayer. But I thought one of the things that we need to do tonight first is try to, to talk about, and I, and I want to tell you we're going to answer, try to answer about five questions. And the first one is, what, why does God want us to pray? We're going to answer that question. We're going to answer the question, how does Jesus make our prayers effective? We're going to answer a question, what does it mean to pray according to God's will? Another question we'll try to answer tonight is what role does obedience play in answers to prayer? And then finally we'll, we'll touch on why our prayers might go unanswered. But first let's, let's talk about prayer. What is prayer? <clears throat> and maybe it's easier to talk about what prayer is not first, right? Jerry alluded to it in his prayer. He, he mentioned the fact that God doesn't need, um, God is not without information. He doesn't need to know what's going on because he doesn't know. We don't have to tell God what's going on. Prayer is not informing God. Right? So what is prayer? It's a relationship with God. Okay. It's as close as you want. Right? Russ? It's basically just talking with God. It's just communicating right. with him to build a relationship with him. Grudem in the text said prayer is personal communication with God. Quite simply, prayer is communicating with God. It says personal communication. And, I, and when I read that, I thought, well, you know, we spend time in court. We prayed together tonight. Was that personal? <clears throat> well, it is. And I thought about on Sunday mornings, Jerry, Pastor Jerry and, and a couple of the elders and the deacons gather before church on Sunday, and we get together to pray, and it is one of the most special times of the week for me. I enjoy that time more than anything. Sam, I know you've been a part of that at times. Yeah, I just want to share with you one of okay. my... One of my life verses it's exodus 33 um, verse 11 and the first part of that it says the lord would speak to moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and that was one of the verses early on that was introduced to me when i got yeah. saved and that taught me how to pray that's you just you talk to god that's great but we get together as a group and pray and i thought well you know as praying as a group that's not personal but but i've noticed 
when one of the other men pray, when Pastor Jerry prays, my heart joins with his, and the words that he's saying become mine, and in that way, it's my personal prayer to God too. When I agree with something somebody else is praying, as they're praying, that becomes my personal prayer. So prayer is our personal communication with God. Now that's kind of a broad definition, he says, and, and prayer can be broken down into various parts. First, there are requests for ourselves, and we call that petition. We, we make requests of God on our own behalf. We make prayers for others. We request um, things and, and favors for others, and that's called intercession. We confess our sin. That's part of prayer. We uh, express our adoration for God, which can, is, is, makes up part of our prayer. We praise God. We give him thanksgiving. And then a final piece that he mentions that I think is very important and sometimes we, we overlook. Prayer is also hearing back from God. He communicates with us. Now it's not audible. We don't hear a spoken voice. But in that spirit of prayer, God uses that time to, to intercede with our hearts and, and, and in our spirit. He speaks back to us through his word and through our, our prayer time. So the first question we're going to try to answer tonight is, why does God want us to pray? And I've given, Sam hopefully passed out some verses. Jerry's good about calling on people, but I'm, I'm a little bit distracted when it comes to that kind of thing. So I've passed out some cards, and I'll just call on the verse, and whoever's got that can read it. Um, but the first reason that we want to discuss that God um, wants us to pray is, is because it demonstrates our trust in him. Who had Matthew 6, 9? I do. Okay. That, that's it, yeah. It, it, that's, that's showing, that's a, a prayer of demonstration that, that God is there, that he's in heaven. Just the fact that we call upon him is demonstrating our trust in him. How about Hebrews 11, 6? upon God, we're demonstrating faith in Him, which is exactly how we please Him. We express our dependence in Him because He is the Creator and we are His creation. And then we demonstrate through our prayers our trust in God by recognizing Him as the loving and give as, as a loving and giving God. Uh, you remember in uh, Luke, Jesus told the story of her, uh, a story about uh, a son asking a father for a fish or an egg. And he, he reminds us that a father wouldn't give a scorpion or, or serpent to his son when he makes that request. And he's, and he's uh, teaching us that, that God also gives good gifts and we can trust him in that. And that's why we pray to him. How about Matthew 21, 22? And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Okay. Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Okay, again, talking about faith and trust. James 1, 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind of the tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything in the Lord. 
A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay. So again, a demonstration that we're to approach God in faith. So not only does God want us to, to pray to him because it demonstrates our trust and our faith in him, but also because it increases our fellowship. And that's something Sam mentioned in that verse a minute ago. Paul, how would you sure. define that double-minded man? Perhaps, how would you? I'm a first grader, and how would you explain to a first grader what that means? A double-minded man. I think of a double-minded man as, as someone who is easily distracted. He's, he might think about the things of God for a period of time, but when something else comes along, he's easily distracted and, and pays attention and listens to that. Is that helpful? I thought it was somebody who had two different opinions. Uh, you could think about um, environment and think, well, occasions is, is a helpful, but it's a, it's a it's not good, you know, it's anything. Right. I thought it was a, to have two, two opinions. That, so double-minded could be. I think that works too. You could, you could have, a, have a view or an opinion of God's things, but yet also the world. And they shouldn't exist together, but you would be double-minded in that, that you would uh, have that conflict. And James is, go ahead. How would you feel about a man who had two wives? <laughs> a man with two wives versus a man with one wife. The scripture says that, that a man should be a one-woman man, right? Same kind of thing. You have a, a mind that is wants to be after God, but at the same time wants to be after the world. He's easily lured after the world. So he's trying to serve two masters. That makes sense. And James is saying when we pray and when we trust God, when we pray to him in faith, then we're able to, to be more single-minded and not double-minded in, in serving two masters. <coughs> good, good question. So the other uh, reason that God wants us to pray is for fellowship. Um, you know, we were, the Bible tells us and we talked about as we were talking about some of the other doctrines that God created and he created us in his image. And one of the things that that means for us is that we were created for a relationship. And specifically, we were created to be in relationship with God. And so when we pray, we join our hearts with him, we're in communication with him, and it strengthens and furthers that fellowship. And then we relate to God as a person. And I think back to um, after Adam and Eve sinned, and you remember they went and hid themselves, and then what happened? While they were hiding, what happened? They heard God walk through. God, God came looking for them, didn't he? And I have to think, scriptures, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I have to think that that was probably something God did a lot. He came in the cool of the evening, and they fellowshiped together, and they spent time together, and that had been broken. And so prayer is a way that we can, can uh, continue that fellowship with God and strengthen that relationship. The other thing that Grudem says is that praying involves us in eternal matters, and he says... When we pray, the work of the kingdom is advanced. How amazing that we are able to join with God because of our prayers in seeing his kingdom grow and seeing his kingdom advanced. And the fourth reason that, that we pray, that God wants us to pray, is that we give glory to God. It's our genuine conviction of his wisdom, love, his goodness, and his power. When we pray, we demonstrate those, those things in our lives. The next thing we're going to look at is the effectiveness of prayer. So how does prayer work? How does prayer work? 
and does it really cause does it does it affect James 4 2 says you you do not have because you do not ask and so that implies that um, a failure to ask often deprives Jerry even Jerry prayed that in his prayer tonight that we, we don't often get because we don't ask um, but we see in Scripture the pattern that when we ask God responds who had Exodus 32 9 through 19 you know Paul sometimes God may just give us silence and we're going to talk about that yeah you're right who had Exodus 32 9 through 19 the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people in the hole, who is a stiff-necked people. And therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a nation of you. Okay. Who had Exodus 32, 11 through 12? But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said... Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Okay. And then our story concludes with Exodus 32:14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Okay. So we see that Moses' prayer caused God to act in a certain way. When he prayed and, and he sought the Lord, the Lord listened and acted and, and responded because of Moses' prayer. How about 2 Chronicles 7.14? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So again, another example of when we pray, God acts. This is a story that's always interested me. 2 Kings 20, 1 through 6. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went with him and said, This is what the Lord says, put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. <coughs> Remember, O Lord. How I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Okay, another example of a prayer that caused God to act in a certain way. And finally, John, a familiar verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so that verse tells us that... When we confess, when we do that in prayer, God responds by forgiving us. When we confess, he forgives. So uh, our prayer is effective. It does have a, a, an effect. Now we have to be careful. You know, scripture is clear that God, you know, Numbers uh, twenty-three nineteen says God does not change his mind. 
we have to be careful. As Jerry said, we only know what we know. You know, but we do have patterns in Scripture that say when we pray, God acts a certain way. He does things in response to the prayers that we offer as long as they're in accordance with his will. Yes? Um, I was just thinking, in, in this part that my beloved just read, uh, about Hezekiah, when Hezekiah asked, um, you know, he asked for um, healing, like, don't let me die, Lord. And he didn't. He, the Lord gave him 15 years. Right. And you know, in those 15 years, some, somebody said, watch what you ask, because the Lord may give it to you. During those 15 years, he had a son, Manasseh. And Manasseh became one of the most wicked kings ever for 55 years in the land. It's like, whoa, how <laughs> guy realized what was going on. I wonder if he had asked. What's that? Nope. Well, Grudem says, if we're really convinced that prayer often changes the way God acts and that God does bring about remarkable change in response to prayer, as Scripture teaches, then we would pray much more than we do. If we pray little, it's probably because we really do not believe that prayer accomplishes much at all. It's very challenging, isn't it? Next, we want to look at how effective prayer is made possible by the mediator, by our mediator, Jesus Christ. <coughs> because we've sinned, our sin separates us from God. And we, because of that, we have no access to God. As we were praying in Pastor Prayer Partners last Sunday, that was one of the things that I prayed. I thanked God for Jesus' blood because it was shed and it, it paved the way for us to have access to God. The, the fact that we can even approach him in prayer is because of Jesus', Jesus blood. Um, in 1 Timothy 2.5 it says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. In John 14.6, verse you all know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is that mediator. He is the way that we can approach God. And so if Jesus is the way, then the natural question that follows up that, that Grudem says we would have is, does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, God is omniscient and he knows and hears all things. But he's not made a promise. He's not, there's no indication in scripture that he's committed to uh, answering or, or acting upon the, the prayers of, of unbelievers. And what about believers in the Old Testament? How could they approach God if Jesus was the mediator? How'd they do that in the Old Testament? Right. Right. Yeah. All by faith, right? One way. I mean, I think they used the sacrifice, sacrifice system, you know, because that system again was a kind of a typology of what That's Christ exactly. would do in the future. Exactly right. The sacrificial system was was in place, and it foreshadowed what Jesus was going to do. Jesus. You remember, and it was last, was it last Wednesday? Was that the Day of Atonement? Last Wednesday? Yeah, it is, in, it is in September. I think it was last Wednesday, if I remember right. But you remember on that day, the high priest would go into the, the most holy part of the, the tabernacle or the temple, and he would meet with God, and he would make uh, a sacrifice on behalf of the people to, to make atonement for their sin, and that would happen once, once a year. 
But, of course, that was just foreshadowing what Jesus would do, who would become the perfect high priest. He would, he would be our mediator between us and God, and, and his blood is what paved the way that we could have a, a relationship and, and access to God. Who had Hebrews 7, 26 and 27? Such a high priest makes our need. <coughs> One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted among the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Okay. So in the Old Testament, they had faith in a future event. Is exactly right, faith. They had faith in an event that was going to happen in the future. So Grudem talks about praying in Jesus' name. What does this mean when we pray in Jesus' name? You know, we end our prayers almost always with, in Jesus' name, amen. So what does that mean when we pray in Jesus' name? You know, there's no other name under heaven that man can be saved except the Lord Jesus. So, and also there's power in the name of Christ. So right. and, and Jesus is an intercessor for us. So all those combined, I think, is why we pray in his name. Right. Who had John 14, 13, and 14? And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that your Father may be glorified in your Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. David? I'll just highlight this in the book. It says, uh, to come in the name of someone means that another person has authorized us to come on his authority, right. not on our own. Right. So when we say, when we conclude a prayer, and it's really, you know, and that's what we want to talk about. I mean, is there anything magical about adding those words at the end of your prayer in Jesus' name? Is that as if now it's an official prayer? It's really about your heart attitude. It's about whether you recognize that you're coming on the authority, you're approaching God based on the authority of Jesus. And that's exactly what, you know, coming in someone's name ex expresses authority. In uh, Acts 3, Peter is talking to the lame man and he commands him to walk. And you remember what he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he's saying, on that authority, on Jesus' authority, get up and walk. In Acts 4, 7, the Sanhedrin asked, asked the disciples, by, by what power or by what name do you do this? And they're asking, on whose authority are you doing this? Whose authority are you acting? So when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name because of his authority and, and his, his, his power. The name in, in Grudem also said that when we, we pray in Jesus' name, we're expressing character. He says, praying in Jesus' name not only is praying on his authority, but also praying in a way that is consistent with his character, that truly represents him and reflects his manner of life and his own holy will. So praying in Jesus' name is, is more than just adding words to the end of the sentence. It's, it's, it's a mindset, it's a heart attitude, and uh, it's, it's certainly not a formula. Grudem suggests, and I, I thought this was really neat, I'm, I, may, I may try this in the future, but he suggests beginning your prayers with phrases like, Father, we come to you in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, Father, we do not come to you on our own merit, but on the merit of Jesus. Or, Father, we that... We that Father, we that you are for forgiving our sins and give, we thank you that you've forgiven our sins and give us access to, to you through the blood of Jesus. So those, those type phrases express the same sentiment of praying in Jesus' name and represent the true attitudes of our hearts. 
for what they should be. Uh, his next question was, should we understand that we pray to God? We, we begin our prayers a lot of times with Father or Holy God or, or God our Father. But should we pray to Jesus? Should we pray to the Holy Spirit? Is it okay to pray to Jesus? Is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? He, did a, he said there was, had been a survey of, of New Testament prayers and you don't find any or many examples of, of praying in that manner. Uh, but most of the prayers in the New Testament were, done, were offered by Jesus and he was, he was praying to his Heavenly Father so he wouldn't pray to himself. But there was a scriptural pattern for praying to Jesus. As Stephen was dying, you remember, he, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Colossians and Revelation both um, have prayers for Jesus to return. And those prayers are to Jesus himself. And in Acts, when Ananias goes to Paul and tells him about the conversation with the Lord, it's because Jesus sent him. He had been praying to Jesus and hearing from Jesus. And praying to the Holy Spirit, there's nothing in the New Testament that suggests that we should pray to the Holy Spirit. But there's also nothing that forbids it. And I thought this was interesting. Um, it kind of makes sense when you think about the role of the Holy Spirit. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit do? Intercedes. Intercedes? Convicts. Convicts, that's right. Bears witness. Teaches us. Teaches, that's right. <coughs> And brings gifting. <clears throat> so Grudem suggests that when we pray and we're, we're talking about those roles of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not inappropriate to pray to the Holy Spirit as he's doing or as we're beseeching him to do these things, convicting of sin, teaching, interceding, bringing gifts, then, then prayers to the Holy Spirit would okay and would be okay as, as outlined in Scripture. The last part of the chapter Grudem spent some time going through some, some things that make our prayers more effective. And the first thing that he touched on was praying in God's will. And we've sort of already touched on that. But who had 1 John 5, 14 and 15? And we are confident that he hears us whatever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Okay. So... That reminds us that praying in God's will is, is important, that we seek his will as we're praying. You remember in the, in the garden as Jesus was praying, he, he desperately wanted that another way. and he, he asked God to remove this cup from him, but then he concluded with, not, not my will, but your will. Right, and that's an example to us. So how do we know if we're praying according to God's will? Now that's a tough one. How do we know? Bingo. That's what Grudem, Grudem says, Scripture. And um, points to a reason why memorizing Scripture is so important. Those things that we know and we have in our minds and in our hearts can help us as we pray. We can be assured that as we're praying according to Scripture, we are also praying according, according to God's will. Who had uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 8? And we'll just use that as an example. Okay. Okay. Um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being with the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
that made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Okay. So if I wanted to pray that, if I wanted to pray in, in according to God's word, I might would say, Lord, help me not to do anything from selfish ambition or empty conceit. Would that be consistent with God's will? Certainly. I might say, help me, Lord, to have regard for one another as more important than myself. Would I be praying consistent with God's will? Certainly. If I said, Lord, help me merely not to look out for my own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, when we pray according to Scripture, we can have confidence that we're praying according to God's will. Now, what about other situations? Maybe you've had an opportunity to change jobs or you thought about changing jobs or maybe the person you were trying to decide if you were going to marry, what college or school to go to. How can we pray about those things and, and be sure that we're in praying in God's will? Well, Grudem says it's still important as scripture speaks to any of those things, we should consider that. You know, if scripture pre speaks to an acceptable wife, we would want to consider that. It's also appropriate to ask for wisdom, ask for insight, ask God for clarity, help him to ask God to bring insight and, and direction into the decision that you're trying to make, and then to wait patiently and to listen for God to speak. And we should always act according to God's character. It also tells us in the Old Testament, if we delight ourselves in him, he'll give us the desires of our heart. That's right. He'll put desires in our heart. So. And so it's not that he gives us everything we want, it's that he puts the wants within us. That's exactly right. And if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. And then I think it's okay, you know, obviously it's okay to pray like Jesus did. Lord, here's what I think, here's what I want, <coughs> but I recognize, I'm, you know, I, I may not see this clearly, and so if I don't, you show it and, and do it according to your will. I want your will to be done. And so that's an appropriate way to pray as we, we want our prayers to be effective. So as we think about effective prayer, praying in God's will is the first one. Praying with faith is, is another thing to make our prayers more effective. And Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So faith and trust are both key components in effective prayer. Who had Hebrews 11.1? 1? Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Right. And that speaks to assurance, conviction, and our dependence upon God. I was um, reminded when I was thinking about praying with faith, and I'm going to go back to one of my Senegal experiences. I think it was our third trip. When did we go with Brett? Second, the second, third, one. second, second trip, and um, Diane and I normally like to go out together when we go in the neighborhoods sharing in Senegal. But for whatever reason, that particular day, we might have been in a group of three because I think you were with me. But I was with Pastor Brett. Pastor Brett's gone to Arkansas, but he was with us in Senegal that day. And we met a man, and we we talked to him outside of his garage for an hour probably, and. He was having some back issues, and he was complaining about his back hurting. And uh, one of the things we do after we talk, you know, and, and we're getting ready to leave and depart to go to another part of the neighborhood, is we'll ask them, is there something we can pray for you about? And, 
And of course, this man wanted his, he wanted us to pray for his back. So we gathered around him, and, and Pastor Brett said he would lead the prayer. So he started praying, and, and I was, you know, there with my head bowed and my eyes closed. And Brett said, Lord, we give you thanks that you're going to heal this man. And he went on and prayed, and I, as, he, as he prayed that, I kind of remember opening my eyes and looking and thinking, well, that's a bold prayer. And after we finished and kind of moved away, I, I, I kind of pulled Brett aside, and I said, you know, that's, that's bold to be thanking God for healing him before it's even happened and before you really know what God's going to do. And Pastor Brett said, Paul, God took us to Senegal. He brought us here to share the good news of the gospel. We're, do, we're, we're being obedient. We're telling this man about Jesus. I have every confidence that God will do this. He's, he's certainly capable of doing it. I have every confidence that he could. And that changed the way I thought about prayer. And it, it just made a difference. And we pray with this component of trust. It, it really matters and it makes our prayers more effective. So praying with God's will, praying with faith, and then third is obedience. When we're obedient, Grudem says... Since prayer occurs within our relationship with God as a person, anything in our lives that displeases him, or sin, will be a hindrance to prayer. Who had Psalm 66, 18? If I have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have looked at me. Okay. Proverbs 15, 8. Put those on the same card, didn't I? Fifteen eight. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to Him. Okay. In First Peter three twelve. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open to the prayer. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So our own obedience, Scripture's teaching us, our own obedience, our holiness is, is, a, is a key component to our effective prayer. Now we can't misunderstand, sinlessness is not achievable, right? But that leads us to the fourth component of effective prayer, which is confession of sin. So since we do continue to sin, we must rely on the gospel for everyday living. And we depend on God's grace. The gospel not only saves us, but it, it goes with us every day as we live. And so we find ourselves in a pattern of repentance, forgiveness, unfortunately sin, repentance, forgiveness. Who had 1 John 1, 9? We, we may have we read that earlier. our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Right. So I was thinking as, as we talked about that, confessing sin, you know, I remember, was our Sunday school lesson last week, no, or two weeks ago? My memory's really bad. Was it Noah? It was a couple weeks ago, wasn't it? And the, and the scripture said Noah was a righteous man. Does that mean Noah had never sinned? No, but he was in this pattern of when he did sin, he confessed and, and, and God forgave him and, and found himself in a right relationship again. So we should confess our sins. We should be specific as possible. And that speaks to an immediacy. You know, when a sin is committed, the sooner we can confess that, the better, because if you're like me, you have a tendency to forget. So confessing sin quickly is important. And then we need to ask God to, to reveal hidden sins. Who had uh, Psalm 1912? 
who can discern his errors forgive my hidden faults right. so we need to ask God to show us those things that are hidden deep in our hearts that we may not even be aware of but because of our relationship with him we want to confess those things and get those things out of the way and then sin and scripture tells us that we're to confess sin one to another and I have a good friend Bill I, I joke with Bill all the time I say scripture says confess your sins one to another you go first <laughs> it never takes me up on it but but that's a good way to to, um, to to practice confession of sin is if you have someone that you can really trust that you have a deep enough friendship that you can share those kinds of things with it's it's very important so the next aspect of effective prayer is forgiving others who had Matthew 6 14 through 15 uh, 14 forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men your sins your father will not forgive your sins okay does this mean that a person who does not forgive cannot be saved? Jerry and I talked about this at dinner. Seems to imply that, doesn't it? But Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That promise doesn't change. So I think this, this reminder to forgive others and, and to keep our relationship with God right and our communication through prayer open is because on a day-to-day -day basis we need that cleansing. Our salvation is set at the time we trust in Him as our Savior. That's, it's, we're changed. It, it's a one-time transaction. John MacArthur says, This conditional statement does not mean that God will withdraw justification from those who have already received the free pardon He extends to all believers. Forgiveness in this sense a permanent and complete acquittal from the guilt and penalty of sin belongs to all who are in Christ. John 5.24, Romans 8.1, Ephesians 1.7. Yet scripture also teaches that God chastens those who disobey. Hebrews 12.5-7. Believers are to confess their sins in order to obtain a day-to-day -day cleansing. 1 John 1.9. This sort of forgiveness simply washes a person from the worldly defilements of sin but does not repeat the wholesale cleansing from sin's corruption that comes with justification. It's like washing the feet rather than a bath. So God threatens to withhold forgiveness on a day-to-day -day cleansing from Christians who refuse to forgive others. And uh, Jerry and I were talking at, the, at dinner. I was reminded of the parable of, uh, of the, the, the man who had the servant who owed him 10,000 talents and he forgave him that great amount and he immediately went out in the street and found somebody who owed him nothing and he refused to forgive him and of course the other servants saw it and they went back to the original master and told him what happened and, and uh, he called him wicked and, and threw him back in jail because that disrupts that relationship that we have with God and we, we need to keep that and, and being willing to forgive others is a way that we can have that relationship with God. There's another verse that says, um, in, the, in the way that you judge others, that you will be judged that way as well. Yeah. We're quickly running out of time, so we'll, let's see. Another uh, key component of effective prayer is humility, a humble spirit. Uh, who had James 4, 6? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Okay.
Okay, I got to tell you about my grandmother. Hmm. Sweetest lady in the world. Um, I spoke at her funeral, and um, one of the things I talked about was the fact that her Bible was always in the way. And when I say in the way, that, that sounds strange, right? Her Bible was in the way. But it was always on the kitchen table. It was always there. And I used to go, I would go early on Saturday mornings when I was in college. I would go home because I, went, I, I would go hunting with my grandfather. and So I would get there at 4.30 in the morning, and she would already have breakfast. And her first question to me is, have you done your daily Bible reading today? Grandmother, it's 4 o'clock. I hadn't done my Bible reading. But her Bible was always in the way. I had an aunt that didn't quite get it. And uh, I was visiting with her uh, toward near the end of my grandmother's life, visiting with my aunt. And she said, you know, I just had to laugh at your grandmother the other day. And I said, really? What, what, what was going on? And she said, well, I, was, I just happened to overhear her praying. And she said, grandmother never goes anywhere. She doesn't do anything. She gets into no trouble. But in her prayer, she sounded like the worst sinner I've ever heard of in my life. You know, Lord, forgive me. I've done, oh, Lord, please forgive me. And I was reminded of, of the story of the, 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 the tax collector and the, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I told my aunt, you know, I said, you know, that, that's the prayer that God hears. You remember that story. Um, the, the Pharisees was so proud and he said oh Lord thank you that I'm not like these others and, and the, the tax collector was you know, Lord forgive me of a, a sinner and, and uh, Jesus declared that the tax collector is the one that went home justified Grudem says God is rightly jealous for his own honor therefore he is not pleased to answer the prayers of the proud and the self righteous who take honor to themselves rather than giving to him Let's quickly talk about unanswered prayers. He, he mentions that, and, you know, I've always, Jerry says there's occasions where you might disagree with, with Grudem or anybody who writes a book. We can disagree with anybody except this book, right? Um, and Grudem talks about unanswered prayers, and he gives us a couple of examples. He said the Jews who prayed for the Messiah to come, they didn't see it in their lifetime. He says the revelation martyrs who prayed for God's justice and God said be patient the time is not now and then Paul who prayed for his, his thorn in his side to be removed and he called those unanswered prayers would you call those unanswered prayers those prayers were answered they just weren't answered in the timing maybe that the person who was praying maybe not even in the lifetime of the person so we have to be careful I think to um, to think that God owes us an answer immediately he, God's go, always going to answer. It just may be in a different timing than we're, we're, we would wish. I always call it either yes, no, or not now. Yeah. Well, his timing is not our timing. And it goes back to trust. We, we must pray with trust that God's timing is perfect. <coughs> I may ask for something or pray about something in his will that, that doesn't get answered until after I'm gone, but, but his timing is perfect. So we must trust God above all things. Sometimes the answer is not what we want. And sometimes the prayer is not answered until after the believer has died. And sometimes we, we may not be praying according to God's will. And then the final thing that he touches on is praise and thanksgiving. Um, these are, are critical elements of prayer. We need to have time in our, in our prayer time where we, we praise God for what he's done. We praise him for who he is. I love how Jerry prays, Lord, you are worthy. You are, we, we praise you because you are worthy, because of who you are. We should thank him for the things that he's done for us. Just the gift of salvation itself is beyond our, our understanding, and, and that should drive us to our knees as we, 
as we pray and, and thank him for the things that he's doing. Any questions? That was seemed rushed. <laughs> <laughs> The sure. Holy Spirit says in the scripture that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us because sometimes we just don't know how to pray or what to pray for. So one of the things I've always tried to remember in my, for myself is prayer doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. It can be a very simple thing. And we, not, we don't need to be afraid to talk to God. It needs to come from the heart. It just comes from the heart. So everyone has the ability to pray, privilege to pray. And, you know, Jerry, Jerry has said many times, we talk about it in our our elder meetings sometimes we just don't pray enough you know but the bible tells us to, to pray without ceasing uh, you know we get busy during the day and and that doesn't mean that we're on our knees and that we're we're praying but we should as we move about and, and everything that we do every moment of the day should be with an attitude of prayer pray without ceasing and, uh, the more that we can pray and, and increase that fellowship with god is an important thing well, I appreciate you guys being patient with me. Next week is what? What's the angels, angels Satan, and demons? Well, let me do close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you. Father, we confess that you are God and we are not. We thank you that you've created us that we belong to you and that we have relationship with you. Father, we confess that it's because of the shed blood of Jesus that we can call upon your name. Father, we thank you for your love for us, which you demonstrated by sending your son to die on the cross to, to pay the penalty for our sin. We pray that the very thought of that would drive us each day as we move about, that we would have those words of life on our lips as we go about this community. Pray that you would give us opportunities to share with <coughs> others those who are in need of, of that good news. Father, I thank you for this church that you've placed here in this community. I thank you for Jerry and the other elders and the work that you're doing through them. I pray that you would bless them. and Father, use us to grow your kingdom. We thank you for the opportunity that you've placed here before us. Father, we do remember the, the schools across the street and the opportunities that you've given us there and the Crabapple Fest that's coming up. We pray that you would... Father, go before us, that you would prepare the hearts of those that we would meet. And even though, Father, we plan to, to hand out water and, and maybe baskets, Father, and we just pray that you would give us opportunities to have spiritual encounters, that they would be divine appointments that you've prearranged, that you would give us opportunities to share the gospel and to make a difference in this community. We love you. Pray that you would be with us as we serve you. In Christ's name. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.